Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from all the parties involved so that we can solve some real-world problems with the people that face them. On this podcast, we will debate, challenge each other, and maybe clear some air if we're lucky. I'm your host, Ken Toller, representing security, and today I'm joined again by Jameson Colburn for DevOps and Simon Dolo, representing product engineering and development. Welcome back, yeah. guys. Thank you. All right. This is like our first real episode with everybody together, starting new, no new intros, so we can just it's sort happening. of like kick it right off. Um, just getting back from the we holiday weekend. So anything fun? Anything fun from you all that you want to talk about before we jump into the real stuff? I went to an, a restaurant and sat outdoor for the first time in a really long time. And that was really weird. Nice. I, for, I forgot how to restaurant, which was really yeah. awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like uh, you know, we've had masks on for, for so long and you're letting them take off the mask and like eat. And if you forget to do that step, it becomes very difficult. Yep, and the waiter kept coming by, and I was like, oop, time to put the mask back on, you know? <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah, man. It is, it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy sort of reintegration. Speaking of integration. Oh, man. <laughs> is that a bad segue? I think so. <laughs> no, Pearl. perfect. Let's talk about Pearl. <laughs> Pearl right. integration and what it means to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So look, we'll try to okay, Jameson. We'll we'll try to like lay off the pearl jokes, uh, at least for 10, 15 minutes or so. We'll try to get in, you know, halfway there. All right. So uh, in today's episode, we're going to cover a couple of perspectives uh, on some security topics, and. As we get through the episodes, I think we're going to switch directions a little bit in the lens that we view these topics through, whether it's development or DevOps or security. But given that we started off with some in the security world, we'll, we'll sort of go from there. And I think that we're going to try to uh, sort of start at the outside and move in. And in DevSecOps, that is uh, on the requirements inside and then on the monitoring and uh, decommissioning side. So what better way than through threat modeling and requirements design and application and platform logging practices and the perspectives that we have there. And if we have time, we may share a story or two uh, from Jameson or Simon to see, you know, maybe if that sparks some some interest there. So with that, we'll jump right in. So uh, on the requirements side and on the design side, threat modeling, uh, let's start right there. So Threat modeling, as far as application security goes, is a is a big first step beyond the deployment hump or the testing hump of static testing and dynamic testing. So typically an organization, when they're first starting with an application security program, and I say typically, but in my experience, you'll see a, a lot of organizations start with deploying a scanning tool and usually that scanning, especially in application security, is static analysis, source code, automated, running it through a tool, getting the low-hanging fruit, and dynamic testing. And there's this iteration through that, and that can be varying levels of maturity. But then when they start to think about how do we avoid this in the future, they go into security requirements. And usually one of the first exercises we go through is threat modeling. 
So what I'd like to understand from you guys is, you know, have you conducted or worked through any threat models, either with a security team or on your own? And what's been your experience with threat modeling as a developer, as a DevOps engineer, and how are you involved in that process? I, I guess I could kick it off. Uh, my experience with threat modeling early in my career was largely on the more receiving end or you know the collaboration end of things, right? Working in Disastigs, Ken, which I know you're very familiar with and, and fond of one of the stigs is that threat models must be documented and reviewed, right? For every application release. So with that, you're kind of constantly going through this exercise of security comes to you, says, hey, where's the threat model? And then as the DevOps or release engineer, right? You kind of have to go and chase down the development team and say, hey, did you guys do a threat model? And and, and kind of work through that, right? And, you know, a lot of moving parts in a lot of organizations where, you know, then they go to information security, they get, so, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in that world, but it was one of the few places I would say that I routinely saw threat modeling happening and in, in routinely enforced, right? And in other environments, you know, I've, I've been responsible for threat modeling on the infrastructure side and especially on the cloud side it's really a lot of identity management, uh, especially in your AWS world uh, where, you know, your identity keys lead you to everything. Uh, but, you know, even on the infrastructure side, whether you're kind of more uh, typical colo or data center type environment, you know, it's a lot of outside to in, you know, and thinking of, of the, the layers of the, the onion and not the security onion as in the open source project, but more <laughs> of the security onion as in, you know, kind of more defense in depth. Um, but even still, uh, very rarely have I been directly responsible for it. it. It's kind of always been that collaboration between um, security and, and infrastructure IT. So. Got it. So when you're, when you're talking about, it's interesting. One of the things that you said was that you conducted, that security came to you and asked you if there was a threat model. And then you turned that on to development and asked them if there was a threat model. So it wasn't actually the security team conducting the threat model or walking anyone through this process. They were expecting the rest of the organization to deliver this threat model. Is that yeah, accurate? Ex exactly. And I, I think a lot of that goes from your more let's call it classical information assurance, information security programs, right? These kind of think of your, I don't want to call it antiquated. I'll probably offend some people, but uh, it's more of this kind of looking, uh, kind of more enforcement or audit arm of security, kind of looking to the the contributors or, you know, the developers uh, to, to really provide that documentation. Because at the end of the day, they're looking at a, che a checklist, right? And they are saying, this item on my checklist must be met. And I don't know that they want to do that, right? They don't want to do the actual work of that checklist. They just want to make sure that they have a nice, concise binder of documents. You know, this is probably going a little bit back, but to ensure that when someone comes to them later on, they can say, yes, when that release went out, all the boxes were checked, right? And that's probably a terrible way to look at security, but that's, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of um, verticals, that's kind of the way of the world. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, 
it's definitely one of those things where I, I think that it is important for developers to be involved in it. And, and I, I think you see some success with there, but it, the most success is going to be when everyone's kind of invested in working together on it, because that's going to, you know, turn over the most rocks, asking developers to assess themselves um, is, you know, asking anyone to assess themselves is probably not the most, uh, honest interpretation of whatever you're looking to do, regardless of whether it's a threat model or anything else. But yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. I definitely have gotten that like almost checklist mentality or audit mentality from, uh, you know, lists of things that need to get accomplished. I've, I've worked with some of the, you know, static analysis tools directly, but I, I do feel like at least from a product perspective, the thing that's missing is getting that prioritized in a pipeline where you can rank its value in comparison to to feature work and tech debt and everything else. I do feel like it's this weird conversation of, of head nods, people saying, yes, this needs to be done. Everyone's on the same page and it kind of ends, it just ends there uh, just because there's no, there's no ranking or priority of what to do uh, when it comes to this giant, giant list of, of threats. Right. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I 100% agree that no, I did not, ex first of all, I did not expect you to tell me that your like major experience with threat models was that someone was asking you to perform one solo or to deliver one uh, solo. I definitely expected that uh, going into this question that it was going to be mostly like security is conducting the threat model as an assessment on uh, on the group or organization or whatever. So uh, it's sort of turned the conversation on its head from my perspective, because I'm used to conducting threat models for organizations and delivering them as reports or assessments, you know, based on these interviews or information that's provided by an organization or a client. So really interesting perspective there that I'd like to dig into a little bit more, especially on the checklist piece, because what did the deliverable look like? Was it, you know, when, obviously you've delivered one of these. So what did that, what was that, what did that look like? Was it a, a list of things that you needed to do in order to, or were you determining what threats there were? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in classic bureaucratic fashion, right? It was always a massive report of things that may or may not get done. Um, a lot of that is, you know, if you think about from a perspective of um, this is taking me back, going going down memory lane, I guess here, um, more of looking at what you know, your kind of standard type things, right? Enumeration, um, ex your cross site scripting, that that kind of stuff, right? But I mean, really. I, as I kind of mentioned before, I would say a lot of this was not as, as earnest as uh, if security was doing it. It was kind of like, a, hey, here's some things that we could throw together to potentially satisfy a um, an auditor, right? And that, that's kind of my, my point here, right? Is that this is not the right approach to these sort of things. It's an approach that a lot of organizations take, but fundamentally, I think the better approach is that when everyone's kind of invested in this together and working together to, um, you, you know, to, to, uh, or provide the best product, right. Or the best outcome. It, it's definitely one of those things where 
you know, we, we've talked about this before, right? There, there's many approaches to security and having that approach where, hey, I'm just looking to check the box. It's not really the right approach, but it, it is it is a approach. It's just not the right one. Can Do you think this could ever work or, or from a security perspective, is this is just an anti-pattern or an anti-design pattern rather? Threat modeling? No, from the perspective of, of Jameson having to, to take on this work from this like auditing perspective. I mean, it's a so, self attestation, right? Like it's never really gonna be, as I said, it's never gonna be honest, right? It's always gonna be skewed towards, you know, your potentially your benefit, right? As far as making yourself not look as bad, but also it's, it's really not a, um, it's not one of those things where you're going to have a, um, a good outcome more or less, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it can work as a component of the overall threat model. What it sounds to me like, Jameson, is that you were provided with a list of, of security requirements that, and were they the same for no matter what you were deploying or what did they change based on some criteria? Was it predefined? It sounds like you, you were given a list of things to do to protect against generic threats. Yeah, I mean, more or less, and, and frankly, like, I never got that involved because, uh, you know, I'm not a developer, right? It was kind of one of those, uh, you pass the buck, right? <laughs> because at the end of the day, I'm not going to do an application assessment, right? I'm going to, uh, you know, I ultimately, my job is not that, right? And so it's really passing that on to the developers and letting them kind of uh, noodle on that and, and try to work through what that might look like. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, so Simon, to answer your question, I think that it can be a, a very uh, important part of the overall development process in generating the security requirements that come out of the threat model. But it's it's a it's just like this. It's, it's collaborative in nature. You have to have, whether security leads it, I don't think that even it's that bad that security is asking for these threat models from other groups as long right. as they're a part of the process. But someone has to be there to, um, it, it, you all have to ask the questions. The security team needs to ask the questions from the threats that they see. And then by exposing those threat actors or um, identified control mechanisms or whatever it might be, influence the opinion of the of the developer of the operations engineer to say to trigger these other thoughts that can help like jameson said turn over some other stones because that's what you're essentially trying to do in a threat model is identify what could possibly go wrong with this application based on factors like the business uh, standard things like you said, Jameson, cross-site scripting or whatever, like those are the things that you're, you're always going to bring to the table with threat modeling from a security perspective. But it might be that, you know, a user can, um, you know, change their, uh, potentially change another user's username or something. And maybe that's not necessarily a, a security weakness that you would get because it's something is unpatched, but it's because you just shouldn't be able to change other usernames. You know, it's like there's there are logic flaws that you're trying to identify that are specific to the business that you're trying to identify early in the process and then prevent them from being discovered in the testing process by fixing them before it ever gets there. That's the goal. 
I don't think that you're going to find success by coming up with this generic list of requirements. Like that's going to give you, yes, you need to protect from cross-site scripting. So make sure that you consider that when you're designing your application is definitely something you should do, but that's more of a, uh, that's a standard requirement. That's like a security guideline or a coding guideline or, you know, definition of secure or whatever the, how you, however it's practiced in your organization rambling a bit, but I, I think, you know, I think it's a collaborative uh, effort. Um, it should never just be handed over. I shouldn't say never, but I, I don't think that it should be <laughs> handed over to be completed by one group as like a to do. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that comes back to secure coding practices, right? Whereas, you know, teams should be aware of these things. They should be kind of baking these things into their design and their development. Right. And somebody should then be auditing that, right? If they're responsible for both doing things the right way and then attesting to the fact that they did things the right way, um, you develop a conflict of interest that uh, is not is probably not useful for actual for, for real security. So I definitely agree that it's it's it, I, I think Simon said it. It's, it's kind of an anti pattern, but um, it is more common than you might think. Yeah. So Simon, um, did you have like a different experience of threat modeling or do you, do you sort of have this same, I've been given requirements approach? Yeah, definitely requirements. Uh, usually through, you know, whatever tool you're using, if it's Jira or email or whatever you have you, it's to me, it's always been a list of things usually unordered. Uh, sometimes I'm lucky and they have, you know, a rank and a reasoning as to why this is important and a uh, some sort of solution to me to me if it's a uh, a concise small task that has implementation details that's always a good thing for me but that's not always the case uh, I, at least coming from a developer standpoint the my biggest pet peeve with these audits and and checklists is usually it'll be something along the lines of implement this policy or make sure that uh, you know this entry point to your API is so and so compliant and to me, that that that's not something that should be hitting developer. That should be a little bit more fine grain, a little bit more detailed. Uh, I I don't have a security brain. I'll be honest. A lot of those will be way over my head. Uh, I think when it comes to code or pull requests, that'll be a lot more clear. Got it. So, um, you guys have never really been involved in the the threat generation process. Am I getting that correctly? It's more of we have a list of threats that we want you to protect against and you need to just go and do it? I would say yes and no. When it comes to project design, I think there's uh, a conversation about potential threats and it, it goes along with what you said before where there are some very basic things that every system should be doing. I'll say the sad part is usually those conversations turn into a compromise, which is extremely unfortunate where you are essentially playing, pay, placing bets with whatever security advocate you're talking to and saying, I will implement baseline A, B, and C, but we don't have time for D or that's too complicated. And usually those are the super, super crucial things that you should be implementing, but they unfortunately get passed under the rug. But yeah. afterwards, I, I definitely would say I'm not, I'm not involved. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think what we want to do as a security group or a, as practitioners is when we generate threat models, you know, we don't want to do it in a vacuum. We want to make sure yeah. that when we are having a conversation with the development team, we want to understand how does this application work? 
what are the ways in, what are, you know, who uses the application, who are the potential actors, what can we do to protect against it, uh, or what can we do to protect the application or the API. And we want to have that conversation with development teams in a room to start to generate these ideas of what are the potential threats so that we can risk rank them and determine what's most important to put into the requirements list, which yep. then should get to the development team. And it's not to say that every developer needs to be involved in a threat modeling conversation, but it's, you know, it surprises me that, uh, that, that you haven't been. So that's really interesting uh, and something to take away for, you know, security folks to make sure that you involve the other teams, because there are obviously, you know, areas where there's just, there's no way that you're covering everything if you're not talking to the people that are working on the application. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, I am shocked that you, this is, this is news to you as of late. I do find that really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I do know that there are organizations that don't do threat modeling, right. That will just generate requirements out of vulnerability lists. So, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a scan or something or a static analysis result, and it generates a bunch of vulnerabilities and then a bug is created, that's not the result of a threat model. That's the result of a failure to do threat modeling, <laughs> or, right? It's a it's a result of not having those requirements up front. So it's it's sort of on the back end. So the purpose of threat modeling is to get that on the front end so that it never hits a bug. Now where we run into trouble is that, as Jameson brought up, I think in episode two, is that if it hasn't occurred. Like if there was no attack or no breach or whatever, security has a really hard time getting buy-in. So take that to the next level and say, not only has it occurred, but it never even made it to development. It was never a problem. So you know, you're know, you sort of tagging on that additional effort for doing a threat model. And so folks will really focus on the testing side. And that's why that static analysis, dynamic analysis, penetration testing, and all those things that happen on the tail end of the development cycle happen so often and are the most prevalent services that are offered because it's the most tangible before you actually, you know, have consequence to those things being in your applications. Yeah. And I think a fair amount of that, right, is that it, Threat modeling takes time, right? It's abstract. And so from a, a business value perspective, uh, it may not be recognized, right? It's good to get out in front of things. You obviously want to design your security controls around potential threats, right? But the first step there is to understand those threats and that takes time. And, and so I think that's probably a lot of the reason that folks either don't do it or they shortcut it because they don't want to take the time to to really brainstorm and to kind of do that um, you know that that thought exercise of what are all the potential avenues in which this application, this infrastructure, this architecture could um, could be exploited, could be exposed, could you know, etc. Right. So I think that that's probably part of it and uh, is. In, in very few verticals are threat models a requirement, right? I mentioned like disastigs, right? Where it is, there is a checkbox there that says that a threat model must be documented, but there's nothing that says that a threat model must be complete, right? <laughs> so I think that's part of it too, is that um, 
in a lot of these cases, it's just not, it's not something that's necessarily top of mind for people. Um, but also it, it, it takes time. And so the, uh, the investment maybe not, um, may not necessarily be made there. So, uh, whereas yeah. like you mentioned with the pen test and, um, you know, any of sort of your security scanning tools, right. Those are generally requirements, um, in any, you know, sort of controlled industry. So with that, they, they tend to get some traction, right. And, and the outcomes of those are actionable, right. Something happened, some, like we tested this, this, you know, occurred, or we found this vulnerability and this could occur, right. It's, it's actionable. It's kind of like what Simon was saying, right? Where when you get those results that say like, this is what could happen, right? It's easier to justify or easier to get buy-in to make that fix. Whereas when you're like, just saying, hey, this could happen, but there's no tool, there's no body that's, you know, specifically calling that out. It's probably harder from like a, uh, a backlog management or whatever, you know, your workflow is to get really traction on those issues. Yeah. I mean, you both know that I'm a fan of showing, uh, like in a vulnerability, showing what the exploit is or showing a developed exploit to take advantage of whatever the actual bug is. And it's, that's a really great way to get traction on issues with threat modeling. You, you just don't have that, but in reality, I mean, if you get ahead of it before it even becomes an issue, it's just how, you know, how do we measure that effectively to ensure that it, we, you know, we do add some weight to it without having, you know, a breach be that weight. Yeah. And I, I think that's a perfect, what you just said there, Ken, I think that's kind of perfect, right? Is, is how do you measure the success of a threat model almost, right? Is that because if, if you threat model perfectly, right, no tool, not like there's going to be no consequence. It comes right back to crying wolf, right? Where if, if you do things right up front, there's no negative consequence. There's no report that says you did this wrong, right? And so unfortunately, uh, in a lot of places that, that value is just won't be recognized that we did the, the right thing up front. So therefore nothing happened. No flags were raised, right? It's just that no one's going to look back and be like, well, that was a success because we did a threat model, right? So um, it's unfortunate, but I think that's kind of the truth there, right? Is that the value of a, of a good threat model is very hard to recognize uh, without, um, without a, a you know, really high caliber security team that's able to market that success. Yeah. It's much, uh, so yeah, I guess what you're saying is, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, is that in order for the threat model marketing to be effective, your security team has to do a good enough job at making sure that the, that security is a, has a seat at the table, basically, um, just inherently in the corporate culture. Yeah. Security has to be a first class citizen. (laughs) Yeah. I was letting you take your, uh, your common phrase, which is <laughs> security should be a first class citizen. Thanks. Second, <laughs> yeah. second class at most, I think is fair. Simon is, uh, is not quite at the first class. I'm not he's convinced more of, He's more of the business <laughs> class. Occasionally it looks like first class. If it's, if the price is right economy. Right, exactly. <laughs> Man, I feel like we could really dig into threat modeling. One of the, you know, we we do have this idea that maybe we'll get to video at some point, but I would love just based on this to take you all through sort of a, a threat modeling exercise to see if it looks like what you've seen in the past, 
um, and whether or not it lines up with your expectations of a threat model, especially if you're going back to like a dis stig as, as like your experience with it. Um, I think that would be great uh, just to sort of have like uh, that mentality because I do think, you know, Simon, that you, that other organizations can perform threat models. And one of the things that I do believe is, is a, is a good idea. I don't know how um, feasible it is to, to get mass um, adoption, but is to this idea of iterative threat modeling or threat modeling features. And I've gotten pushback on that uh, from, different individuals or whatever, but mm-hmm. the idea that these threat models don't have to be these large undertakings to work with a, you know, a, a whole suite of applications and APIs that you could threat model a feature. And that makes it much more consumable to uh, development teams or James, in your case, operations teams to like focus on one component of what they're doing, just identify the threats in that component and then build on that over time. And then hopefully at the end of that, you sort of have this puzzle of uh, these iterative threat models that you can use to identify threats on the larger scale. And that way you can have more participants that aren't overwhelmed by this idea that they have to threat model, you know, an application constellation of three web interfaces and 15 APIs and then an entire containerized infrastructure, you know? Yeah. Uh, But I like that idea. I think we, we can we can coin a new buzzword here. It's uh, agile threat modeling, um, but I mean it makes sense, right? If is that you start... something that you've heard before? Or is no, that no, I'm just... just I'm just making this up based off of what you just said because I thought it'd be fun. But um, <laughs> I mean, really, it is. It's it's. I think that's a good approach where you start small, right? And if you start it from the beginning, if it's part of the design process, and you keep iterating on, on as the application evolves, you know, as your as your ecosystem evolves, right? it becomes this less daunting task where somebody was like, Hey, this thing's about to go out for release. It's, you know, some monstrous API that took us two years to develop right now, threat model it before, you know, next week. Right. And I I think that it's that approach of um, not only is that collaborative team-based approach where like, you know, the development team can kind of walk someone through it to help identify, you know, key points in it, but also, um, if you do that iterative process, that delta between what you started with to what it became is a lot less instead of being, you know, two years of development. If it's something that happened along development's life cycle, um, you know, it, it's, it's a lot less daunting for that, you know, application security engineer to look at and, and work its way through. It's, uh, you know, threat model early, threat model often. This is maybe something else we could say, but. <laughs> <laughs> Man, all right. I'm, I got to write all this down. Uh, yeah, man. No, I, I like, I do think that the approach can work. I just think that, and almost maybe if you had it as part of the architecture discussions, like when someone has an idea, there's just always someone either in security or thinking about security. Maybe it's like one of the, if you have an internal security champion program, that's just there thinking through and throwing out security requirements and ideas so that they can at the very least be prioritized as uh, requirements in the project. Yeah, that's part of the architecture. It should be. Yeah, yeah I, I think kind of what we're working towards is, is your dream of threat modeling is it's part of like the user story is that your acceptance criteria involves updating the threat model or something to that effect. Yes, yes, that sounds great. You're doing <laughs> it right, Jameson. That's exactly how it's done, right? It's nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> what? Simon, you don't agree? 
I don't know if I'm ever going to write a user story ever again. <laughs> oh, man. I need to think about this. Well, uh, I mean, look, we have we really dug into the threat modeling topic for this episode. So I think, you know, we can save the the logging piece for an additional episode, uh, you know, because I don't want to shortchange shortchange that. Simon, I know you probably have some opinions on logging and James, no I'm, I'm sure you have opinions on logging. No doubt. Uh, but we'll call this the security episode then, you know, and just uh, and then we'll we'll focus on just logs next time and uh, and turn the focal point through maybe uh, development or operational standpoint. Uh, so that will wrap it up for this episode. We talked about threat modeling and some perspectives there. I went through a couple of surprises. Uh, so we'll, we will wrap it up. Uh, one thing I do want to mention is that Pearl. It, what's that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, Pearl. We will mention Pearl and how Jameson really loves it. And if you love Pearl and want to give it five stars, then make sure you give us a review for five stars. Ken, are you going to teach a class on secure coding standards for Pearl? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I, I am, I am not a Pearl junkie like you, Jameson. But I would, I would hire you in a, in a heartbeat for. Uh, secure coding practices in Perl because I know it is your favorite language. Perl as a first class citizen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, if you want to contact us or um, send in questions or comments or feedback or additional topics for, for us to talk about on the show, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at R2DSO. And you can also email us at security at r2dso.com. And that will get the questions on the show. Uh, eventually, I'll get Simon, a developer at r2dso.com and Jameson, a DevOps yeah. at r2dso.com. And then we can start to split it up. But as the audience grows, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll fan that out. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been episode three of Relating to DevSecOps. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>